Hey guys and girls, welcome to the second episode of Dumbrow, the show that we talk about plot holes in films. This week we're talking all things plot holes related in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Now to be clear, I do love the Lord of the Rings films before we get started, even if I don't watch them that much. To be fair guys, if you watch one of the extended edition films, that's your afternoon gone. So, we're going to do this by the film order that they were released in. Let's get straight into it. What's the deal with the Nazgul first finding the hobbits on the road? The hobbits find a hiding place behind a tree, which the Nazgul keeps sniffing right above them, and somehow it doesn't find them. For one, I thought they were attracted to the wing, so how do you not find the wing when it's right beneath the tree, which is like a couple of steps below you? Second, if they can't find the wing like that, then why would you not smell the hobbits behind the tree? You're telling me they, they smell the same as the worms inside the tree? The only reason that makes sense would be that they couldn't smell things, in which case, why did they bother sniffing? Like, seriously, they let Sauron down with that buckle. So next up is when they get to that mountain hill thing, why the hell does Aragorn decide to leave the hobbits on that hill by themselves? Like at the very least he should have taken Frodo with him because of that very important ring that if the bad guys can't get hold of would mean the very distant of evil gets reborn into the world. And I know the hobbits are kind of just comic relief at this moment, but when you are being hunted by people who want to kill you, why would you set fire in the dark? No one is that stupid to do that. Also at this point have you noticed how much Water has saved the hobbits at this point. It's kind of ridiculous how much the fact that the water has saved them from the night schools. Now we get a flashback scene between Elrond and Isildur in Mount Doom. Elrond just lets Isildur go. Why doesn't Elrond just jump on him and make a sacrifice of himself if he has to? Elrond knows Sauron will still be alive unless that ring is destroyed. It makes no sense why he wouldn't at least attempt to stop Isildur from walking out with that ring. It doesn't make any sense because you could just push a Isildur into the fire and be like oh no to his men and let's have a funeral and you didn't have to tell them that you'd push them. It really doesn't make any sense why you, would, you wouldn't at least attempt to stop them from leaving. We move on to the Fellowship declaring allegiance to Frodo and Gimli stands and says and my axe like a badass that he is. But didn't he just destroy his axe when he was trying to destroy the ring? That's a bit of a plot mess up. So the fellowship has been formed and they are now eating the sausages and like these pills. Um, did they not, did they hunt for this? I'm confused because wouldn't they have food have expired or would at the very least not be very good at this, at this point without a fridge or anything like that? I, mean, I haven't read the book so they could have some elf stuff that last makes them last longer but they don't mention it in the film so that makes it a plot hole even if the book explains it. Right now they are at the mountains and Gandalf says let the ring bearer decide. What? When you have this many experienced travellers in your team let's okay let's call it the fellowship you let the one that has never travelled before on any kind of adventure ever decide where they go? Gandalf kind of deserved to be killed for that. So they are in Moria now, and Frodo is hiding before a wall from a troll in this sort of small battle. You can see Merry and Pippin on the other side of the room, and yet they gave no sign to Frodo that the troll is on the other side of the wall that Frodo is obviously trying to hide from. 
Now Frodo's been saved. I don't understand why his blade isn't still growing. Are the orcs chasing after them not enemies? I'm still confused on that one. So now we are almost at the very end of the film. Why is Frodo waiting to save Fram from drowning instead of just running to save him instantly? And also how can a Robert, hob, excuse me, Hobbit reach Sam while still being on the boat? Aren't they kind of small? I don't understand how his arm could have reached that far. Right, now onto the plot holes of the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. You know that bit where the orc says there's no one to save you now? How did the rider of Rohan manage to hit with a spear from that great a distance? If you're going to throw a spear from that type of a distance, wouldn't you just throw it into the crowd and hope for the death? You're not a random captain orc that you probably couldn't even see the hobbit he was trying to kill. After this, Legolas says the red sun rises, blood has been spilled this night. In this world, wouldn't that mean almost every morning would have a red sun? It's hard to believe that fighting doesn't place, take place every night in this universe, if that's what you can call this a universe, I'm not quite sure what you call it. And it's like mentioned once, shouldn't every morning after a battle then have a red sun, if it's the case that when blood has been spilled, a red sun will rise? So now the riders of Rohan are unsure if the Fellowship are spies, like they did just shout hailed, like if they were spies, why would they hail you? And because you didn't see them, so they easily could have run away, which actually shows that you're not very observant. And oh, now there's another Nazgul. This is great. And it's really close to the ring again, but can't find Frodo, even though he's right above him. They really do suck at this whole finding the ring thing, don't they? Now Sam is stuck in some rocks, and there are two guys walking towards them. How do they not see him before Frodo hides them? They're only a few feet away, they're not blind. So Wormtongue has just been thrown from the stairs with force. How did he not break at least some bones? I can see why you wouldn't kill him, but then why would you let him go back to your most mortal enemy at this point and let him escape unpunished? Like he's just kind of bewitched your king? I'm pretty sure that's grounds for treason. Moving on, they get ambushed by orcs on the way to Helm's Deep. And actually, if you look at the super closely after Legolas jumps on the horse and Gilmy is riding it, it actually turns out in a later clip to be a human behind Legolas on the same horse, which is kind of more like a continuity error, if that makes sense. But that's still kind of a plot hole if it shows one character on the back of horse and then there's another character, so I'd still class that as a plot hole, personally. Right, the bit where Salmon says tens of thousand, and Wormtongue says, But my lord, there is no such verse. Can he not really tell that the orcs are standing outside the tower? What about when he turned up for work that morning? Could he not tell that Salmon had amassed a large army? Surely there'll be some clues. And right now we're near the end of the movie, and Treebeard is surprised that, to see that the trees have been torn down. I thought they talked to each other, I thought that was already established, that the trees could talk to the less normal trees, ants, they're called ants, I remembered. How could they not know, have known that this was happening? Now it's the morning, and the orcs have taken over most of Helm's Deeps. And oh yeah, by the way, where's that red sun Legolas mentioned? Yes, I'm going to keep going on about that. That was a dumb quote. I think that night probably would have sufficed as blood being spilled personally. Hey, turns out there's a lot of plot homes in this series. So now it's time for The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I actually am going to be honest about this one. I had to really be to find any plot holes in this film. It's actually 
really quite good. But that's not going to stop me from seeing the ones I did find, so let's get straight. Right, so it just so happens that Pippin finds the Eye of Sound. Of all the places it could have got washed up, it was washed up there. And so now Sauron thinks Pippin has the ring. Can Sauron, Sauron, can Sauron not tell the difference between the hobbits? Moving on in the film, you know those guys that light up the beacons in the mountains? I'm confused how they survive for long periods on top of the mountain. Also, how long is the shift? Who do they annoy to get that job? And mostly just how do they survive that freezing temperature unless the Lord of Rings universe is just different? Now we are at the point in which they will hear him gather to ride to Minas Tirith. Why does King Theoden not tell his men that Aragorn has gone to hopefully get an army that might win the day, instead of just letting his men think that Aragorn has abandoned him? So now Theoden has given his battle speech at Minas Tirith to his men, which is indeed awesome. But how many men died while he was giving this speech? Isn't that a bit of wasted time? I mean, I know the will him who probably got more morale from his speech, but it's still, people probably did die in between them fighting the orcs and him giving them the speech. So we are now in Mordor, and we see a lot of orcs, but I was with, with Famine Sodo. So why did Sauron not send any of these guys to Minas Tirith? And now the good guy army charges into the orcs in the final battle. Why does Gandalf not do his light spell thing? We've already established in this film alone that he can do it. Surely that would be useful here. So now Frodo goes inside Mount Doom. Why wouldn't someone just cover the entrance with boulders to block his enemies from going inside the one place his ring can be destroyed? So that really doesn't make any sense to me why he wouldn't do that unless the only way that sound could be revived is to get into the volcano thing. But in which case, why wouldn't he just get his troll things to unmove the boulders if he had the ring? That really doesn't make any sense to me. So the ring has now been destroyed. Woohoo! And the ground is collapsing. How are the good guys' army immune from the effects of this? That is one random ground collapsing pattern. And that's all I have for you in today's episode of the Dumb Law Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the slight format changes I made for this podcast. If you have any requests or films you would like me to feature, please do get in touch with the show at Podcast on Twitter. You can now find the Dumblaw Podcast on Spotify, Castbox and Mixcloud. We are hoping to be on iTunes soon. This podcast is created by Thomas McDonough and is hosted and edited by Thomas McDonough.